Please stand now as we read God's word together, these words from the book of Romans, chapter 8. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Jesus Christ who died. Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ, will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we begin a new sermon series this evening, uh, simply titled, If. Uh, we're basing it on uh, a book by Mark Batterson by the, uh, the same title, and, and I, I really hope that you'll uh, participate with us these next uh, four weeks as we learn how to trade our if-onlys, right? To trade our, our looking back, to trade our regrets for God's what-if, for God's possibilities for God's future in our lives. It's going to be an awesome time together. We're going to talk about a lot of really great stuff. And, and I would encourage you, if, if you have a, a friend or a family member or a neighbor or somebody who uh, isn't Christian even, I, I think this would be a great uh, sermon series, uh, a great time to invite them to worship uh, because I believe that this series and, and this uh, weekend in particular has amazing truths, not only for people who profess faith in Jesus Christ, but really for a lot of different people, even those who have uh, no faith life. Um, I, I think this is especially true today because what we're going to be talking about is something that everyone has. It's a universal tr truth that tonight we're going to talk about regrets. Regrets. I, I think we all have them, right? And, and tonight we're going to talk a little bit about them and what God has to say about our regrets. Uh, we have a couple of quotes here to start off um, our conversation about these regrets, and uh, I, I want to offer you one uh, by Zachary Taylor. He was the uh, 12th president of the United States, and he has just this awesome quote I wanted to share with you. He says, I have always done my duty. I am ready to die. My only regret is for the friends I leave behind me. That's a pretty good life, right? I mean, that's a pretty good way to go out, you know, and, and, and believing your entire life that you've always done your duty, right? Just being ready to go whenever the end comes and, and really only regretting those people that you live behind. Uh, so this is one of the possibilities. This is one of the ways that we can live and, and really regret just, you know, those people that, that we leave behind. Uh, this is one possibility. Or uh, another quote is from a man named Woody Allen, and he had this to say about regrets. He says, my one regret in life is that I am not someone else. That's, a, that's kind of a big regret, right? So we have these two extremes that we have, and, and really regrets plague us all. And, and, and really what we want to think of is not our here and now regrets, not just like what's going on right now in front of us, but we want to think about the future a little bit. And when we come to the future, in fact, when we come to the end, what will we regret? And we're going to talk about a study a little bit later, but I wanted to offer this up to you. And um, if you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out at this time. Um, it might help guide you through this conversation. Um, what we know about regrets is, is this, that at the end of our life, we'll regret what we didn't do, 
more than what we did do. That the end of our life, when all things have come to an end and, and we're reflecting back, we'll regret what we didn't do. He's missed opportunities, he's missed chances, instead of what we did do. Maybe you're reflecting back right now, and, and you kind of have those things in your life, uh, those kind of missed chances, those missed opportunities uh, in your life. Some of them may be kind of silly and, and may seem kind of trivial, and some of them may even be kind of serious. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 27 years old. I, I don't have, you know, a whole lot of life experience, but, but I do still have some regrets, right? And, and one of them I remember um, pretty vividly was from when I was pretty young. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, uh, I got to participate in something that every fifth grader did in my school was that um, the band director, the high school band director, came to the, uh, what we called the intermediate center, and he came to each class of fifth graders, and he came to talk to them about band, right? And, and he would encourage them to join the junior high band so that they would go and learn all of the things they had to learn in the junior high band so they could be in the high school band, right? And most importantly, they could be in the marching band. And, and so the high school band director came to my fifth grade class and he talked to us all about band, right? And, and all about the cool things that could happen in there and, and what music education really does for people. And, and he did a lot of really cool things. And one of the things he did was show a video. He showed uh, a, a video of a concert band uh, playing their piece. And, and I thought it was really cool. And I thought the people who were the coolest in that band uh, were these people, uh, the percussionists. Right? I mean, they get to like hit things, and there was like a big gong that a guy got to hit, and I was just like, I want that job. You know, that was really cool. I, I, I wanted to be in band, and so he showed this video, and you know, and he handed out these pieces of paper. We're supposed to take home to our parents. He said, you know, get your parents to sign this, and when you bring it back, you get to be in band next year when you join, when you go into sixth grade. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do that. And, and, and so, you know, I had my form in my hand, and, and I, I'll never forget this, this vivid image in my head that I was walking into the kitchen, and I was going to hand this form to my mom. She was sitting at the kitchen table with my older sister. And, and I walked in with my form, and I laid it on the kitchen table, and I said, Mom, I want to be in band. And I laid down the form, and my sister made this face, and she said, Andy, you'll be a nerd. <laughs> oh, I didn't have the heart to tell her that ship had already sailed, you know, like, <laughs> that. don't worry. But I, you know, I didn't want to be any more of a nerd. You know, I, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know. And, and, and so I didn't join band sixth grade year or seventh grade year or eighth grade year. Uh, I ended up uh, joining band in the 10th grade because uh, all my friends, everyone else I knew was already in band, right? That's what, all they were doing. And so for a few years, you know, I, I, I didn't do band and, and would hang out with them whenever they were there. And when they would go to competitions, it'd just be kind of me hanging out. And so finally, you know, I joined band. And, and then in 2003, uh, 2003, the Kuwaita High School Band uh, went to what's called the Oklahoma Bandmasters Association. It's this really big competition of, of all of the high school bands in the state. And in 2003, um, the Kuwaita High School Band won 5A championship at OBA. They were, of all the 5A schools, they were the best high school band of, of all the Oklahoma schools in 2003. But I wasn't there because I joined the next year. And in 2004, 
We didn't do so well at OBA. 2005, we didn't even place. And in 2006, we weren't even in the top five. I missed an opportunity. And it seems kind of trivial. I mean, it's, you know, junior high and high school and, you know, all those things. But there's a part of me that really would have liked to have been in a band that won the 5A state championship. That would have been really cool. And, and, and my guess is that, that all of us kind of have this thing in our life, right? All of us have something that we've missed out on, something that we regret. You know, I think one of the most common forms of regret in, in our lives, especially here in Edmond, is buyer's remorse, right? You ever had that? Maybe like you just kind of went wild one day and, you, and you know, you, you went out to, to the mall or wherever it was and you just had a list in your head, you know, of like, you know, I've been avoiding getting these things that I really need or maybe I don't need, but I think I do. And, and you know, I'm just going to go ahead and get them all now. And, and you go out and you get them all and you're just really jazzed up. Each purchase, you know, like, oh man, I can't wait to get this home and really get it out and do it. And, and then finally you get home with all this stuff and you realize that you never really needed it in the first place. That buyer's remorse. And, and you know what? That really doesn't uh, just come with, you know, small items that we buy, but it also comes with big items. When we get a car or Maybe even a house that we couldn't afford. And now so many years later, we're wondering how we're going to make it out of this house with really any kind of money left over. We've really missed these opportunities maybe to, to wait. My guess is that we all have these kind of regrets in our lives. Maybe your regret is in parenting. Right, that maybe there was a moment that, that you did something, uh, right, that when the emotions got high, that you said something that, you, you know, you really wished you wouldn't have, or, or even worse, maybe you neglected to, to make a clear boundary, to hold a line that you should have, and now it's gotten so far down the road that it's really kind of hard to hold that thing back, and, and now you're wishing that you would have done it in the first place. Or maybe your regret is around your relationships, maybe even with your own spouse, and maybe, again, maybe you said something or did something when emotions got, got heated, or, or maybe even worse, maybe you neglected to do something. Maybe you neglected to fight for your relationship when it really mattered. And now you're on this end of it, really wishing you had. We know what regret looks like, friends. Now, what two social psychologists found when it came to regret is that when we're judging it in the short term, when we're looking back just a couple or a few years, uh, that we regret our actions more than our inactions. And again, this is just short term. This is just looking back a, a few years that we regret the things we did, not the things we didn't do. But the margin is pretty slim, right? The margin is 53 to 46%, right? 53% of people regretted their actions. 46% of people regretted their inaction. But what we find is, whenever they look over the long term, whenever we look over our total life, people are tend to regret inaction far more than action, right? 84% over 16%. That most people, towards the end of their life, regretted the things that they didn't do. Regretted the things that they didn't do. I think this is so astounding, especially to Christians, 
especially to Christians, because many times when, when we talk about sin, you know, we talk about the thing that, that you know, is, is against God's plan. God doesn't want you to do these things, right? We always talk about what we don't do. You know, well, well, well don't go here and, and don't do this and don't say that for sure and don't do these things. Well, what we find is that we regret inaction more than action. That what we find as Christians, when we talk about sin, we talk about the sin of commission, right? The doing, actively doing of the wrong thing. And there are many sins that, that look like this. There are many sins that, that look like just basically the wrong action. But this isn't the only kind of sin in the world. And I think what's far worse than the sin of commission is the sin of omission not doing the right thing. Because I believe that God has a plan for your life. That I believe that when God created the entire world, that, that in the very beginning we read that there was nothing but God and God started to create the entire universe that we know of. And whenever God started to do that, he had you in mind. He had your very life in mind when he created the world and he had this thing for you that you could do and only you had the ability to do this. And he was going to give you opportunity after opportunity to do it. But what we do many times for fear of this sin of commission, for fear of that we, you know, we might do the wrong thing, we end up just sitting still and not doing anything. And we miss these opportunities, friends. We miss these chances to do a lot of good all because we're afraid of a tiny misstep. Friends, God has such opportunity planned for your life. So much opportunity planned for your life. And to simply omit that, to simply leave it out, breaks God's heart. Mark Batterson, the, the writer of the book, If, he has this awesome quote that I think is absolutely right. He says that no one knows your potential like the one who gave it to you. God created you with all of these opportunities in mind. God created you with all of these chances that he was going to give you. And he knows each and every moment when you take it and each and every moment when you don't. Friends, this is what regret looks like in our life. Not just the times that we actively do the wrong thing, but many times when we fail to do the right thing. Many times when we fail just to stay put and just to sit there and think, well, at least I'm not doing anything wrong, right? At least I'm not actively doing anything bad. But friends, I believe that when we get to the end of our life, we're going to look back and wish we had done some more stuff. So, so maybe this has been kind of just a, a beating, and I hope not, but maybe you're just you know, sitting there thinking, well, what if we do if we have regret? Right, because we all have it. That's something we can all openly admit, right? That, that we all have this kind of inkling, just like oh, this, oh, yeah, you know, I wish I would have done that. Or I wish I wouldn't have said this. Or, or you know, I, I wish I would have gone there. But what do we do with it, right? I think one of the first things we do is repent. Repentance is the first step in dealing with regret. And, and there is good news in repentance, friends. This, this repentance is simply being made right with God. Repent literally means to turn around, to go the other way, to stop doing the wrong thing and, and to turn around and do the right thing, to go the other way and to make our lives mirror the life of Christ, 
That's how we know if we're doing the right thing, if, if our lives look like Jesus' life. That's how we know. And so we are called first to repent, to, to, to apologize for an offense against God, to stop, to turn around, to go the other way. This is the first thing that we do whenever we feel this sense of regret. And there is such good news in this repentance. Uh, we read out of the book of Romans, it's Paul's letter to the church he found in Rome and the church that he started. And he writes this beautiful letter to it. And, and, and Romans chapter 8 is something we're going to be talking about a lot for the next four weeks. And, and I want to take you back to the beginning. We read the end of Romans chapter 8. And we're going to go to the beginning now. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1, he says this. That there is therefore now no what, friends? Condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is really good news. This is good news for us. The, John, the gospel writer, he says it in this way. Many of us know uh, these words. If, if you ever, you know, kind of grew up in church, or even if you didn't, if you've really been in a church, you've heard these words uh, from John chapter 3, verse 16. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. We've heard these words, right? But what we fail to realize many times is verse 17 is even as powerful as this. He says this, Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to what? Condemn the world, but in order that the world might be what? Saved through him. That it's not just that God is not condemning the world. I mean, many times we get this idea that, that people are so bad that all God wants to do is destroy them. Right? I mean, maybe you were from a different tradition that was a, a little more negative, and, and sometimes we can think that, you know, God is just mad. God is just mad at us all the time and, and thankful for Jesus that he keeps them, you know, from really getting to us. But what we read in this passage is, no, that, that God is not just not condemning the world. God is not just not punishing us. He's, he's actively saving us. He, he's actively trying to rescue us from, from sin and from death. This is what God does in our life, and whenever we repent, whenever we make our lives mirror that of Christ, He continues to do that work in us. Each and every day, friends, that this is the power that we have to access. This is what happens in our life when we repent. When we feel that, that inkling of regret, we are called to move to repentance, and we will realize that, that God is not just punishing us, that God is saving us. What the writers tell us throughout the Bible is that in Christ, there's no condemnation. There is, there is no condemnation, but there is conviction. And, and, and those are two different words. I want to talk about them just a little bit. That what, con, what conviction is, is a feeling of guilt over unconfessed sin. This is what it means to be convicted. We're living our lives, and, and, and there's something in our life that's not right. It's not in line with God's will. It, it doesn't look like the person of Jesus Christ. And, and because of that, friends, we will feel some conviction. We will feel a little guilty. And, and, and the truth is, is that's, that's good. That's a good thing that comes from the Holy Spirit, that comes from God. What we have to realize is, though, is, is that God is not just, just making us feel guilty for guilt's sake. God is not convicting you just so that you can be convicted. But that's so that you will actively move toward the person of Jesus Christ. So that you'll be moved to repentance. So that you'll do something about it. This is why conviction exists. 
This is why this happens in our life that we feel a bit guilty. Maybe when we regret something that we did, if we feel that way, maybe we haven't repented from it. Maybe we haven't confessed that sin. This is what conviction does in our life. So there, there is conviction, but there is no condemnation. Condemnation is a little different. Condemnation is a feeling of guilt over confessed sin. So maybe you're sitting there and thinking, you know, I, I feel guilty. I, I, I feel regret in my life, and I've confessed it. I've repented, and I still feel guilty. And I want to say that happens. That, that life doesn't, doesn't just get immediately better because you believe in Jesus. It will be better. The long run is better, but your life isn't just instantly better. You don't just get more money and a lot of stuff, and you're just happy all the time because you believe in Jesus. I really wish that were true, but what we find throughout the Gospels, what we find for the disciples is that that was not true for their life. That, in fact, their life got a little harder, a lot harder, when they started to believe in Jesus. And this is what we find for us as well. But what we are not to believe, friends, is that we are caused to always feel guilty that we are caused to always feel regret. That what condemnation is, is this feeling of regret over confessed sin. And what I want to encourage you, friends, is to give this up. And there might be a couple of reasons you feel this way. One of them may be because, maybe because you, you haven't asked forgiveness from another person. And maybe that sin was between you and a friend or family member, and, and you never really sought to make that relationship right. You never really sought to, to make it well with that person. And that might be why you still feel that way. Or maybe another reason is because you haven't forgiven yourself. And what we may find throughout our life is, is that sometimes it's a lot harder to forgive ourselves than to seek it from God. I wish that weren't the case. I wish that weren't true. But, but many times we can have these things in our life that, that we hold on to. That, that even though we try to give it to God, even though we try to let it go, we just want to hold on to it. We just want to feel worse and worse. And we keep this condemnation in our lives. And if you hear nothing else from me tonight, I, I hope you hear that God wants to take that from you. If you will just give it up. I like to liken this uh, conversation of conviction and condemnation to, the, uh, to your car, maybe. Um, you, you ever done this? You ever gotten in your car and, and the little like, warning light came on? You know? Maybe you've ignored it long enough that your, your car looks like this. You know? Just like every light is just on, just flashing at you. But you ever, you ever gotten in your car and, and the warning light comes on? And maybe you flip through your manual just going, you know, I've never seen that thing before. What is that? What does that mean? And and, and when the warning light came on in your car, it, it's an alert, right? It, it, it's this sense that something is not right with your car. So something is not going well, and if you ignore it long enough, it's going to be a bigger problem. And, and so what you do is you take it to the mechanic, right? You, you, you take it, you know, into somebody who actually knows what they're doing, and, and you tell them, you know, there's a light on in the dashboard, and I don't know what it means, but, you know, can you fix it? And, and they take it from you, and they fix it. And they give you the keys back, and they say, we fixed your car. We made it right. It's like brand new now. There's no more warning lights in your car. That this is a good thing. 
This is what it is to be made right. But what if you got in your car right after that and you turned on the car and you knew everything was fixed but the light came back on? How frustrated would you be? You'd be sitting there yelling at your car saying, I just fixed you. I have the receipt to prove it. I did it for you. Why do you shine this light at me? Friends, God looks in our life. God peers into your feelings and senses this guilt over confessed sin and says, I fixed you. I made you right. Why do you continue to hold on to this? If you would, but give it to me. Hand it over so that you might be made right. This is what God wants for our lives, friends. And, and, and so I would encourage you this week, as you meditate on these words, as, as you think about this, one of the things I would encourage you to do is to simply repent. First, repent to God. That there might be that thing in your life that you're feeling guilt about that you've never confessed. You've never given it up. You've tried to squash it deep down and thought, you know, I'll just hold on to this forever. You know, I'll just let this stay here. And, and I would encourage you, friends, to give that up, to repent to God. And what we hear, friends, is that this is great news when we do this. In fact, whenever we do this, the writer of the book of Hebrews says this. Uh, he's quoting God. He says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will, what? Remember their sins no more. God forgets it. Is that the, you know, God keeps that scorecard, and God says, yeah, I'll forgive you, you know, but I'll bring it up again later. Right? I'll, I'll forgive you, but the next time you slip up, I'll remind you they did the same thing earlier. It's not the way God works, that whenever we confess it, whenever we give it up, God forgets it, gets it. God wipes the slate clean. This is what happens when we repent to God. And so if God forgets it, if God wipes it away, then why do we still hold on to it? That one of the things we're called to do is to repent to God. And maybe another thing for you is to repent to another. Again, maybe you've had, you know, this kind of thing in your life. Maybe it was with a friend or, or a family member or a spouse, whoever it was. Maybe it was with this relationship that you had, and you're called to make that right. We don't live life in a vacuum. It's, it's not just us and Jesus, right? That we live in community, and we can't help that fact. And so if we have a strife against another person, we're called to make that right as well. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, he says this. He says, when you're offering a gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. And if you were taking something to the altar, if you were taking an offering to the altar, that means that there was a rift between you and God. You had done something. You, you had sinned against God. And if you were bringing that offering, Jesus said, stop. First, go be made right with your brother or sister. Stop before you do this thing before God. First, go be made right with your brother or sister. And then go and offer your gift to God. 
So friends, we're called to be made right with one another. We're called also to be right to God. And that when we do those things, when we repent, friends, we can relax. Right? That's good news. Here in Edmond, we can truly relax and imagine God's what-if possibilities. That only when we've done these things, only when we've given it up, those grudges, those regrets, those sins in our life, only when we've given those up can we then see into the future that God has for us. It's not like this both-and thing where, you know, I want to move into God's future, I want to go do this thing, but I'd still like to hold on to this. Right? I, 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 I want to go and do that. I, I, I want to be this servant of God, but I'd still like to hold on to all this baggage if you don't mind. God says you've got to give that up. And when you do that, you can get this relief from all of these pressures that you've been building upon yourself. And when you do that, friends, you can start to imagine these possibilities, these opportunities that God has for your life. I believe that to be true with everything that I am. I believe that everyone else has undervalued you. I believe that everyone else has undervalued you. Maybe even yourself. That ever since the day we were born, we were taught to not believe in these possibilities, to continue to add this guilt upon our lives. And what God is telling you this day is that He greatly values you. So much so that He will give you countless possibilities to live into your true potential that He divinely decided for you. Will you accept it, friends? Will you choose to repent and to accept God's possibilities for your life? I pray that you will.